We're looking at the Oregon football spring game and the standout players there with Max Torres of Sports Illustrated covering the Ducks, and he was at Autzen Stadium on Saturday. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view. If you're watching on YouTube every day, hit that subscribe button button wherever you are listening to and or watching the show right now youtube every podcasting platform that you can possibly think of apple podcast spotify odyssey stitcher we are available on all of them and i am not alone today on the show joined by max torres once again who covers the ducks for sports illustrated he also hosts the ducks dish podcast talking to a lot of recruits who are looking at oregon there's some great conversations over there max welcome back to locked on ducks my man Thanks for having me, Spencer. Excited to uh, break down uh, the spring game and, and just talk some ducks. Yeah, it was good to have an actual football game to talk about, right? Even if it was Oregon against Oregon, we all have that weird dynamic of, oh, it was a big play, but also we blew a coverage on the very first defensive play. You know, so uh, let, let's start there with, with the spring game. What were you most excited about or interested to see going into the game? And how did you see that? play out as you were uh, finally back in in the throes of Watson Stadium yeah I think more than anything at least just from the inner college football fan in me I was excited to get back to Watson man I mean I hadn't been there since November and uh, for, for those of who have been to Watson it's just it, it's an atmosphere that that uh, hits different and it's you know it's it's very unique uh, it's been just throwing rain pouring rain these past couple weeks and it was a nice day finally uh, and Eugene, so the weather gods gave us a little bit of a break, but it was it never just really... rains at Autzen Stadium, Max. It never rains. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, you're right. So I was just excited to be back there, man. Great turnout by the fans, awesome atmosphere. And then as far as on the field, I think I'm in the same boat as a lot of the people with uh, they don't wanted to see the offense and the quarterbacks. Um, I was also excited to see Sean Dollars and Noah Whittington uh, with Whittington coming over out of the transfer portal from Western Kentucky, and then Sean Dollars uh, not playing last year. Um, and then I was also excited to see what the secondary looked like just because of the departures that we saw there. So um, those, those were kind of some of the things that, that I was uh, most you know, excited about looking at in the spring game. After the game, now that you, you've seen it, and I'm sure you've watched the, the highlights on YouTube several times, as I and many others have, to break down you know, not just who made the play, but who else was you know, doing something right on the play. How the offensive line look, defensive line. I mean, there's a million different things you could look at on, on any given play because there's so many guys on the field. But what stood out to you the most? I mean, I, I think the headlines coming out of the spring game, understandably, were the offense threw the ball down the field. That was an encouraging thing to see from, from Kenny Dillingham and the quarterbacks and the receivers in there. But if there was one overarching trend that you thought, you know, stood out to you the most and kind of jumped off the screen as, as you watch, or you were there in person, I suppose, jumps off the screen as you watch it for a second and third time, what was the, the biggest thing that stood out? I'd say the, I'm going to kind of get a little bit of a two-parter, but I'd say the, the aggressiveness of the offense, whether that be play calling or the actual shots that we saw taken from a quarterback standpoint, uh, and then the the playmakers that we kind of heard a lot about throughout spring camp. Dante Thornton had himself a day, a pair of touchdowns after coaches and players were really hyping him up throughout spring football, uh, those you know prior 13 practices. 
uh, and then just the the quarterbacks. I think I wouldn't say anyone had like a phenomenal day, and I'm sure we're going to talk about the quarterbacks later on. But just the the decision making, and especially right out the gate to to seven, that was that was an exciting play that that got a lot of people interested right away. So I think just overarching, it was great because even though it was you know kind of a, a vanilla day, if you want to call it that, from a play play calling standpoint, we did see a couple of trick plays with like the double the double pass uh, on the reverse. Uh, but, uh, just, I feel like a lot of what we heard throughout spring ball kind of matched up with what we saw. Um, so there was some consistency there and then just getting eyes on, you know, on everyone because the practice setting is totally different from that game setting because it's such a limited sample size. So just getting to see those guys compete, uh, and get some really good reps in was awesome. So I, I, I liked what I saw from, from a number of guys. Um, so yeah, I've already talked about Dante, you know, you saw his speed firsthand, uh, with both his touchdowns being long touchdowns. And then Chase Coda had himself a day. He was a really big standout performer. And then it was kind of strange that Byron Carbo didn't play. I, I, I expected him to play, uh, but Dan Lanning said it was precautionary to just hold him out. But now that I look back on it, not in any kind of a negative slight towards Carbo, but I'm kind of happy he didn't just because we got to see more of Noah Whittington, Sean Dollars. They were the two primary backs for their respective teams. And Noah Whittington just—he looks like a wrecking ball to me, man. He—he he, he just has a—he kind of packs a punch, similar to CJ Verdell, but he seems like he might be a little bit more, a little quicker, a little bit more explosive. Um, and then Sean Dollars, man, he—he—he he, he looked exactly like Byron Carbo said in spring ball, like he hadn't lost a step after that knee injury. Yeah, Dollars and Whittington both showed some explosiveness getting to the outside, and, and the defense—I'm sure Dan Lanning saw this as well. The, the corners and run support were not as strong as they needed to be. They were crashing down way too quickly to, to give open space to the backs. But we saw the potential that that both of them have. I, I agree with you on, on the backfield. I'm glad we got to see a lot of dollars who definitely looked like he was a, a full go and has recovered well from that injury, which I think is great because he's a really explosive player. And, and Whittington, boy, he was impressive. He was, what, 11 carries for 86 yards? Something of the sorts. He had that big long run that where he got knocked out in, inside the five. Like I, I was really impressed with that. But the first play of the game is where all the fireworks started, and that was to Seven McGee, who is making the transition from running back to receiver and looks to be a, at least coming along very well. I think that play at the end of the game where he had the ball, but then uh, you know kind of lost it late. I think that's you know just just part of the adjustment and growth of changing positions, but. The seven-yard catch gets all the attention, of course, because it's a big explosive play. But I was more impressed by the fact that he went into a red zone situation, beat Jamal Hill, who's a nice player in the secondary, beats him in a one-on-one -on -one and makes a one-handed grab. I, I thought seven showed that his transition to wide receiver is going very well. Absolutely. That's a major takeaway for me. And I think maybe a point that's lost in just how great he played on Saturday is just how close he was to not being a duck. You know, a lot of people, I feel like they, um, not, not, I shouldn't say that, but uh, it's kind of wild to think that he almost hit the portal landing, got here and the ducks were a little slow on the recruiting trail. Uh, I know we had talked about how some fans maybe had a little bit of, uh, you know, reservations about that, but Dan Lanning identified right away that he's got to win over the guys that are in Eugene now and make sure that they don't want to go anywhere. Um, so Major shout out to him for for getting seven to stay uh, because it looks like he's obviously going to be a big part of this offense uh, moving forward. And it was funny to see him have that huge play to start because he said that the biggest transition, the biggest, the hardest part of the transition was all the running. 
And what did he did? He ran wild on everybody. And then he also had the ball skills and the playmaking skills to, to track the ball on that, uh, that touchdown catch. So overall, I feel like he, he really stole the show and was kind of the, uh, the offensive story, at least for the skill positions. Yeah. He was Dan Lanning's first recruiting victory because he was in the portal and then later that day, he was out of the portal after Dan Lanning. And I think there was one other member of the staff might have been Don Dillingham. Johnson. Who was it? I think it was Don Johnson. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're very, very right. Director of player personnel, Don Johnson. He and Lanning had the chance to talk to him and his name was out of the portal. That was sort of the, the first big piece of news that Dan Lanning was able to to generate amongst Duck fans. Like, oh, he convinced this guy to stay and he's an offensive player and Dan Lanning's a defensive coach. That looks good. And I think we're seeing the, the fruits of his labor since then in a very positive light. I want to ask you about Chase Cota, the UCLA transfer, because he, I thought, was really, really impressive in this game. But first, I want to talk to you all about Built Bar. I am a huge fan of Built Bar. I've literally never been a power bar guy. Ever. I don't like them. I think they're bland. I think they don't fill me up very much. And Built Bar just shatters through all of those preconceived notions that I have had. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, 17 grams of protein. You know that's why I load them up in my golf bag. Had one earlier today on the golf course. No surprise. I wasn't hungry and was able to play at least decently well. Mint brownie, coconut almond, bunch of great flavors. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15, get 15% off your order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. Chase Cota, I thought, played really, really well. And I liked the addition. I think it made a lot of sense because you have a young receiver room. He's a veteran player. He's also a very capable player. We saw some good moments, though. Overall, he was underutilized at UCLA. I think that was more a product of the guys he had around him, Kyle Phillips and Greg Dulcich, two pass catchers who were at, at a high, high level when, when you look at the Pac-12. And Chip Kelly also wants to run the ball a lot. And so DTR just ended up trusting those other guys. And I, I think a lot of people have seen Chase Coda as someone who will, you know, fill in nicely and, you know, be kind of a role player. But, boy, he looked like a reliable third down option, didn't he? He did a little bit of everything on, on, on Saturday. Final stat line, six catches for 100 yards of the long of 24. Um, and to your point, Spencer, he might prove to be a guy that's just too talented to keep off the field, uh, maybe even more than a rotational guy, right? Uh, he was in a great, great groove all day with Jay Butterfield. Uh, he actually had, I think on that that double pass from Hudson, he caught it, but he was out of bounds. So he had a couple plays. Uh, then he had another big deep pass that was called back because of holding on the offensive line. So throw he could, yeah, he could have done even better. But man, yeah, I think seeing his performance on Saturday, and it is just a spring game, right? You got to keep that in context. You know, it's not always good on good as, you know, you like the ones versus the ones because they don't have that just yet. Uh, and it doesn't give you the same look as, you know, another quality opponent. But the dude's a playmaker without a doubt. And I think seeing how he performed definitely validates how long it took this staff to get a receiver out of the transfer portal. Because I remember leading up to that, I was kind of asking myself, there's got to be something in the works here, right? You're telling me no receivers want to come to Oregon. They got Justice Lowe, flipped him from Utah uh, after after Landing got hired. But, man, I I'm super, super excited about Coda. It looks like he could be a dude. Um and just just also thinking um, the 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 length that they could see at the receiver position with him and Dante Thornton, and then you got some of the the tall tight ends. Uh, I'm I'm much more confident about their wide receiver core now uh, than I was at the beginning of spring after getting to see them. When I mean, you have to consider all the the transfers or the transfer of Mike Pittman and then a couple of the uh, 
other losses that they had with uh, Jalen Red and and uh, Johnny Johnson exhausting their eligibility, and then Devin Williams going to the draft. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I like about Chase Coda is you can line him up anywhere on the field. I think you can play him to the boundary side. I think you can line him up in the wide side. You could put him out wide. You could put him in the slot. He He's that versatile of a player, and I don't think all receivers are like that. I wouldn't put Seven McGee out wide. I never would have put Jalen Red out wide. I think Hudson can line up out wide. We've seen that before, but he's more effective operating in the slot, had that great deep ball from from Ty Thompson, probably Ty's best throw overall of the afternoon, though I think he had one might have been to, to Troy Franklin that was on a on a deep crosser as well. That was that was a really nice throw on a dig route. But I, I think that when you look at a guy like Chase Cody, it just gives you so much versatility. And Dante Thornton, uh, the other receiver we've been talking about, that's a guy you're going to line up on the outside. He's not going to be a, a slot receiver, someone you bring in tight. Typically he, he's going to play on the outside, but Cody allows you I think to put him basically anywhere on the field. I don't think he's a jet sweep kind of guy. I think that'll, you know, probably be seven McGee, maybe Chris Hudson from time to time. But I, I like the the versatility and experience and and athleticism that he offers there. Speaking of athleticism, was DJ Johnson the best overall athlete on on the field on Saturday? I, I have we've been watching him for years, Max, and he's been a good player. And he's gone back and forth between defensive end where he's never done a ton, but has been a solid contributor and he's played tight end and he's been a good blocker and he's mostly caught balls, you know, within a yard of the line of scrimmage on those RPO concepts from Joe Moorhead and, you know, showed an ability to catch and run. To me, he looked like a different player coming off the edge on Saturday. What'd you see from him? I loved what I saw from DJ. You definitely see that athleticism and then just the sheer power that he has playing on the edge um you know multiple times and he was doing it in run defense too there were a couple of tackles for loss in the backfield that i recall seeing from saturday so that's another good thing and and just to go to the pass rushing skills that he has there were multiple times throughout the day where he was going against a stephen jones or tj bass both guys who are projected as starters i mean bass was a solidified starter last year and, and jones kind of uh you know, rotated in a little bit since they had Jaramillo as well there. But those are quality offensive line guys that are, are pretty proven. And and they they were they had their hands full, man. And I think with DJ, he we first saw him in fall camp because he was a little bit nicked up. We saw him in fall camp uh in the spring in, sorry in the scrimmage. God words are hard like we talked about last time. English is a terrible get language. My, get my it's thoughts a terrible, together. terrible language. What I meant to say is the first time we saw him in action in fall he was limited, but he was listed at like 273, and he was not that. He was de- he was way skinnier than that, at least from what we saw. But I say that to say now that his body looks like it's ready to play the, on the defensive line. And, and Tosh Lapoy said uh, when we first got to talk to him in the spring, you know, when I got hired and I saw DJ Johnson, I, I knew that I wanted that guy to play defense. So uh, I, that was one of my takeaways after the game on, on Ducks Digest was just DJ Johnson is back where he belongs. And they're going to need him along that defensive line. Uh, and it was good to see how well he performed, especially with how banged up they are on the interior. But figure you get those guys, Doorless, Kiamar Hudson, uh, and Popo back. Uh, it's it's only going to help him even more because those guys are going to you know eat up double teams and, and draw more attention, which are gonna, which is going to free him up. And then if you can get Braden Swinson, Trevin Mai uh, up to speed even more, it's it's only going to really take this defensive front to the next level. Yeah, and the other thing with, with DJ Johnson that I, I thought about after watching the spring game was how was he playing offense last year? 
I, like, like if that is the it is a sort of player he's capable of being, and Dan Lanning has been extremely praiseworthy uh, of his potential as a defensive playmaker, it just begs the question. We had Matavau and Spencer Webb and Terrence Ferguson last year, so we were fine at the tight end position, as I think we are again this year, even though they had a couple drops. I don't expect that to be a continuing trend because they've shown to have really good hands, but you had those three guys last year, and then you were rotating in DJ Johnson – at, at tight end, and I was just sitting there going, "What? What are we doing? Like that—that's the sort of potential that you have on the defensive side of the ball, and you're playing offense at a position where we've got plenty of depth and talent." I just—that was the first thing that stood out to me. And so now that he's defense full time, he seems to be buying in on that side of the ball. Yeah, to your point, what was surprised? It was a little surprising to see him play tight end last year, but. At the same time, if, if you're looking at it from what he did in 2020, that dude was a one-man wrecking crew. He might have been the, the offensive X factor for Oregon in that COVID-shortened season. Um, you know, he caught a lot of those balls you know, pretty quick uh, off the line of scrimmage, like you mentioned, but he kind of gets going 0-60 to 60 really quickly or 0-whatever to whatever he's running, uh, and it often takes more than a single – just one guy to take him down. So uh, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to put myself in the shoes of the other staff. The previous staff, you know, he, he – they wanted him to probably pick up where he left off last year, uh, being a difference maker at, at tight end. Uh, and then we saw him playing some D line in the Ohio state game. Cause Kayvon Thibodeau was, was injured. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think part of it might have to do with Tim DeRuiter's defensive philosophy. I know a lot of people were, were scratching their heads a little bit about some of the ways that uh, he had this Oregon defense playing, whether it was Kayvon Thibodeau dropping back into coverage every now and then, or, the, the, the distance that he, the room that he had, the DBs, the corners uh, give a lot of receivers just off the line of scrimmage. Some, some fans wanted to see more aggression. And I asked Tosh LaPoy that question yesterday, and he was saying that we want our guys to be aggressive and be jamming at the line and play some physical man coverage. So that looks like a change that we could be seeing soon here. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can say what you want about where he was playing previously, but it's it's a good sign to see that he's looking like he's headed towards a full-time defensive role and, and that he's going to be a difference maker this year. I like hearing that there will be plenty of press man coverage because I I lost track at, I don't know, several dozen third and eights, third and nines that just resulted in first downs for the other team. And then you go back and watch the play and you're like, Mikhail Wright's going to get drafted in the third, fourth or fifth round. And he's playing eight yards off on third and eight. Like what that, that was my biggest beef with, with Tim DeRoyter as a defensive coordinator and I was looking at stats the other day, Max. I don't know if you knew this. Oregon was actually last in the Pac-12 in passing yards allowed per game in 2020. Oh, I don't doubt it. And uh, yeah, and you just think back to all the moments where it was third and medium, third and long, and they would just allowed those sorts of conversions. So I, I like hearing from Lupoy that there's going to be plenty of press man coverage because that was Dan Lanning's mo at, at Georgia, 100. percent And so I, I think carrying that over makes a lot of sense. And, Last and, thing and- we'll get. Yeah, Sorry, I just had one, one more point I wanted to add on that, Spencer. Sorry to cut you off. But, um, yeah, I think another part of it, too, is just the identity that the defense had last year. It was kind of very much that bend-on-break style of defense, whether that was the intention or not. I'm sure it wasn't. Um, but we had a lot of these broken plays on, on third down that just yeah. got ripped off for huge chunks of yardage. And I think part of that probably had to do with the lack of a consistent pass rusher. Because, uh, you know, KT wasn't as consistent as he wanted to be. And then outside of him, they didn't have a guy that was really a serious threat to get after the quarterback. So that just put more pressure on the secondary to, you know, be able to to guard, or sorry, to defend their cover. assignments, rather cover. Thank you. Um, 
And, and I think that Tosh Lapoya said something along the lines of just wanting to have a, a relentless defense. So if you have a defense that can really establish themselves and, and not get pushed around as much as they did last year, I think that can go a long way and just putting yourself in better third down situations. And, um, you know, he was talking about, he wants to be able to have a defense that dictates what the offense can and can't run. Yeah, it's the sort of stuff I want to hear from my from my defensive coordinator. Personally, that's just that's that's just me. What what do I know? I'm just I'm just a show host here. I'm absolutely nobody. You know who's not nobody? Rock Auto. And this episode of Locked On Ducks is brought to you by Rock Auto. There's an ever increasing number of makes and models. I barely remember what my car is, frankly. And your local chain auto parts store is not going to have everything that you need, but you can save time and money when using Rock Auto. It's a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every customer. Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car or truck will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, with Max Torres of Sports Illustrated, host of the Ducks Dish podcast, who was in Austin Stadium, I am amazingly jealous i am so unbelievably jealous that you got to be there Forty-two thousand fans shouting after the third quarter bennett williams revival on the sideline i don't know if you saw that video during during shot like that sort of stuff just it makes me miss college football a lot and i'm a huge advocate of summer big summer i am pro summer max i want that very very clear but i i can't wait for college football as well so i'm jealous you got to do that i haven't been to Austin in in way too long but one thing that everybody was looking for coming into this game and part of it was, you know, how they've played in the spring practices and, you know, the depth chart and uh, there hasn't been an official one yet, but the quarterbacks, everyone was talking about the quarterbacks, understandably. So you add Bo Nix, you have Ty Thompson, you have Jay Butterfield as well, who I think does a lot of really nice things and could compete with Ty, frankly, for the backup quarterback slot. I would think Ty Thompson would be there, but just because he's got a better arm, but Butters is definitely more accurate at this point in time. And I think they're kind of in a similar space in terms of going through their progressions and such. But when I watched the quarterbacks on, on Saturday in Hudson Stadium, to me, it looked like Bo Nix was a, a step above the other two. Did you agree? Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment, but I put it with the caveat that I don't think he made any plays or like, whoa, like he's making plays that I don't think other guys are. Like not not really any like wild plays, whether it be on the run, threading the needle, like putting a ball in a really good spot, like only his man could catch it there. And maybe part of that was just because of the play calling that we saw, right? You don't want to tip your hand too much. I'm not sure how much that played into it, but I think from a decision making standpoint, the poise that he had, he just looked like a veteran quarterback, like we pretty much expected him to look. And I think a lot of the value with Bo Nix is his ability to improvise, which is good but it can get you into trouble, which is why Kenny Dillingham said our focus with Bo is not making bad plays worse. And that's why his, his interception did look pretty bad. He should have just yeah, thrown it away, but he, but he was trying to find Isaiah Brevard up the sideline and kind of ended up throwing it into double coverage. So you triple. don't want to see that. That, was, tri that yeah. was that was triple coverage. That was triple yeah. coverage. It was ugly. It was ugly. So it was a throw he shouldn't make. I know it's when he wants to have back, but, but yeah, he, he did look like, you know, other than that, that like he was making some, some solid decisions. And, and I think that, uh, it makes sense that he is viewed as the or perceived as the favorite to, to win this job come fall camp and then come the start of the 2022 season. 
maybe that'll change by the time we get into fall camp. But if I'm just going off of what I saw in the spring game, I can understand why people would, would have that per perception and thought process. Yeah. And I agree. He didn't make any super, super wow plays. I think the throw the both touchdowns to, to Dante Thornton were really, really nice throws. You know, they weren't uh, like Mariota's first touchdown against Arkansas state. And I remember that play very vividly. It was to DeAnthony Thomas on a crossing route. And I remember watching the replay and going, how did he possibly think he could put the ball into that little window? And that's when we knew we had something pre pretty special brewing right there. But, you know, the, the deep ball to Knicks, the deep ball to Thornton, exploiting the busted coverage with Seven McGee, made a couple other nice passes. He was only eight for 15, which is not great from him, but, Overall, I, I thought he did enough to separate himself, at least in the eyes of fans, right? Coaches have their, their own perceptions because they see him every day a lot more that, than we than we get to or people like you covering the Ducks get to at spring practice and whatnot. But I think if you came into it, even if you were approaching the spring game with a mindset of, okay, Bo Nix has to earn the starting quarterback job. I, I think he did. I think he did that, at least based on that spring game alone. Yeah, it, it was a pretty solid performance. And then just a, another thing, like to my point about not really making any like wow plays, like only he could have made that play. I think another thing that's valuable is just, uh, you don't want to underestimate doing enough. Like just make the simple plays, get, get Kenny Dillingham's talked about it, get the ball to the playmakers so that they can be in space. That Oregon doesn't necessarily need him to be some fanatic, fantastic quarterback. They just need him to get the ball to those guys so they can make plays after the catch. Like we saw with Seven McGee, like we saw with Dante Thornton, uh, like we saw when Jay Butterfield was connecting with Chase Coda, um, having that chemistry and that confidence in the receivers to put the ball in a position for them to make a play. Uh, so I think that just based on what we saw, I think it was, it was a, a decent showing, um, but you know, not anything, you know, over the top. One defensive player who stood out and got an opportunity to because Noah Sewell and Justin Flo both did not play. I think Noah did Noah play a, a couple snaps. Yeah, yeah, early, no play. yeah, but but Justin Flo did not, right? Correct. Yeah. So Jackson Leduc got an opportunity at linebacker to show what he can do. And coming off of the those pressures that are definitely more complex for from the looks of it from Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy, he was flying around the field and making a lot of plays. Now Based on I like what what I've heard, and you can uh, correct me if I am wrong here, but the expected base personnel defense is going to be four two five, meaning you have four down linemen, two linebackers, and five defensive backs, and it'll you know change depending on uh, situations and what what the other side is doing. But that's what we saw with Andy Avalos a lot, and so Leduc I think has has shown enough to where he should get some opportunities to play. I think it'll just be a question of how many because. If you're only running two linebackers each time, you know, Mace Funa is still on the roster. Maybe he's more of an edge player, but Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, that's as tough of a linebacker tandem as you're going to find anywhere in the country. Both are, are NFL caliber guys, but I, I thought that LaDuke showed enough to where if opportunities come about because of injuries or, you know, just uh, fatigue and whatnot, that he's a guy Duck fans should know to look out for this year. Yeah, I, I definitely liked what I saw from LeDuc, uh, who's listed on the roster as an inside linebacker. So you would think that he maybe fit in there next to to Noah Sewell. Uh, but I know the Ducks want to get Justin Flo 
uh, you know, back to 100%, and they were kind of easing him in throughout spring ball. Tosh Lapoy was saying, you know, it's it's a little tough with, with Justin because he just wants to go 100% all the time, balls yeah. to the wall. But you'd rather have that than a guy that you have to say, hey, I want a little bit more out of you. Like, show me a little bit more on that next rep. Um, Flo's just that kind of guy. You know, he's kind of just a maniac on the field. You see him hitting his head and just plays an awesome <laughs> energy. But, but yeah, for, for LeDuke, he was one of my standout performers from the spring game. And I think part of the reason why was just because we haven't seen very much of him. Came to Oregon as a, as a kind of under-the-radar recruit uh, in 2020 as a three-star linebacker out of Nevada. Um, and then he got hurt. And then I think he got hurt again. I want to say I might, I, someone might need to fact check me on that, but I know he's been hurt at least once. Uh, and he was working his way back from that. And then we saw him a little bit in action last year, but he also had to overcome a battle with COVID, uh, which is just another wrench that you kind of throw into the plans th that you throw into football these days. I mean, hopefully things will, will get a little bit better going forward. Right. But um, I, I think that he did look really good and we're starting to, to see kind of what the previous staff that recruited him Ken Wilson, who, you know, is a is a Nevada native himself uh, after spending some time at, at UNR, um, probably saw in him as a recruit and maybe, um, you know, some of the reason that the Ducks wanted to go after a guy like him. So I'm really impressed with what I saw from Jackson. Uh, and then also just since we're talking to linebackers, uh, Keith Brown also looked pretty good out there. Both of them had pretty solid Keith play. huge. Did pretty you see <laughs> he has put on some weight in a, in a good way? Like he was a little bit a little bit thin for a linebacker, like looked more uh, like a speed guy, but man, he looked massive out there. Yeah. He, he's put on some good weight too. And and he, he snagged an interception too, which is, you know, a good sign. You want to have guys that are active in the passing lane and Keith Brown's a guy who played running back uh, for, for Lebanon uh, coming out of high school as well. So he has that versatility. And I, I think that uh, he's going to be a good depth piece for the ducks. I think we're all waiting for the day where Noah Sewell gets a carry in, in the backfield. Maybe it'll be this year. You you just, you never know what's going to happen. That's why we keep you posted here on Locked on Ducks. Max Torres of Sports Illustrated covering the Ducks, host of the Ducks Dish, Ducks Dish podcast. If you're looking for conversations with potential recruits, that is the way to go for everything and more. Max, great to have you back on the show as always. Thanks for the insight. Of course, Spencer. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks for thinking of me. I appreciate all of you for listening or watching the show. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.